0: What's shaping you? What has shaped your life? If I ask you a question, what has shaped your life? What is your like, first knee-jerk reaction? For some of you, it is like football. It's that sport you did maybe growing up or that team that you've always loved. That hobby, that thing that taught you discipline, that helped shape you into the person that you are. Uh, it's baseball, it's, it's volleyball, it's cheer, it's, it's whatever it is. Like This is such a big part of my life. It definitely has shaped me. See, I was born in the 70s and a kid in the 80s. So that means that I have at least been partially been shaped by Saturday morning cartoons. And so that was, anybody remember Saturday morning cartoons? This was a big deal, all right? And being a kid in the 80s, I got to say, Steven Spielberg has had a profound shaping influence on my life, all right? First movie I remember seeing in a theater was E.T. I'm not sure if it was or not, but I remember phoning home. It was a very exciting thing. Uh, Star Wars anything Indiana Jones, and I've passed these things along to my children. Uh, there was a brief part uh, stint in the 90s where the Cowboys were actually winning things, and so that's still why uh, that I, I'm, I'm a Cowboys fan. These things shape my life. What has shaped your life? What has shaped your worldview? Some of you, you instantly go to a person, like, yeah, this this person shaped me. It's a parent or grandparent. Of course, they play a role. But for some of you, it's a coach or a former boss or whatever it is. And for some, it's positive. For, for some, it's negative. And so What has shaped your life? Let me ask you this way today. What is shaping you? What is shaping you today? Of all the things that I just listed, they all have one thing in common, whether it be a, a movie or a book or, or whatever it might be, or a person, They all have one thing in common that has a profound shaping impact on your life. And it's words. Words. Words you see, words you hear, words you say have a profound impact on your life. If you were to put together the words you see, hear, and say every single day, you'd come up with a number of around 100,000. Around 100,000 words that you see, that you hear, that you say. Some of you are thinking, my spouse has already used their 100,000 today. I'm not sure what I have in store for the rest of the day. Yeah. Some of you guys are thinking, or maybe your, your wives are thinking about your husbands. There's no way he says 100,000 words a, a day. I promise you, in one way or another, whether it's words that he sees or words that he hears or words that he says, both internally and externally, there's no way to quantify the internal, but 100,000 words a day. Everything we see, hear, and say has, has a shaping impact on your life. Have you, have you seen the latest TikTok challenge? I haven't. I have no idea what it is, but it's just amazing how that has worked its way into our vernacular. You know why? Because one billion people on the planet are spending an average of 52 minutes a day on TikTok. hmm. Words we see... Words we hear, words we say, have a shaping impact on our life. That's mostly for people under 30. Some of you are just learning what that is right now, the whole TikTok thing. You can look it up later. So for all the old hat people that are on Facebook, let me just let you know how this goes. And I'm one of these people. I'm a contributor, not a critic in in this moment. 3.2 billion comments or likes on Facebook every single day every single day and most of them are arguing with each other it's just it's this amazing thing but they have what you see what you hear what you say has an incredibly profound impact on the shape of your life what is shaping you today we are walking through the book of first Thessalonians right now and I want to make just a couple of notes a couple references Uh, First of all, I want to revisit some things that Pastor Brian said last week as he started us in this new series. Uh, some of you may be surprised that I'm not actually in Scotland today, and uh, or Ireland, as the one person on Facebook wished us really well, uh, said some really sweet things about Ireland. Thank God for that person. Uh, for those of you that and, the, and I know her, and I'm giving her a hard time, and. Uh, but for those of you that, that don't know, two weeks ago, along with Pastor Brian and Amy, my wife and I made the announcement that we are actually uh, leaving Westridge to plant a church in Scotland. Take Hold Church. You can go find out more at takeholdchurch.com. And, uh, and yeah. I appreciate people clapping that I'm leaving. That really means a lot. No, I'm just kidding. No, thank you for that. It's been so encouraging. I got to tell you. The way that this church has responded has communicated one of two things. Either you're really excited that we're leaving or uh, that you are launching us out. And we feel very launched in this moment. And we really believe we need to be for what God uh, has placed on our hearts and for the vision that he's given us, not just for one church, but to be a church that multiplies other churches. And so for those of you that that have given or just signed up to receive emails from us and stay in touch, because we're family, this just means the world. And so I, I just cannot thank you enough. And you can go to takeholdchurch.com if you haven't done that yet and, and find out more. But in the meantime, you're stuck with me for a little while longer until the end of the year. And so I get the privilege of taking us further now in this series on First Thessalonians. Pastor Brian started us out last week, and there's some things that, that he said about what it means to be a church with the right stuff. A church in the New Testament ecclesia It's this group of set apart, called out people, acting as a family and seeking to fulfill God's purposes in the world. That's who we are today. We are a group of called out people. We've been set apart to accomplish and fulfill God's purposes in the world. How many of you know that we disagree about some things in this room, right? There are some things in this room that we disagree about. Sitting on the row with you this morning, and you may, you may be uncomfortable right now, is somebody who voted differently than you. I just want you to know that. They're in the house, they're in the room. Some of you want to deny it, not believe it's possible that they can't know Jesus, but they do. All right? There are both Georgia and Georgia Tech in the house today. All right? And Georgia Tech won yesterday, so they're all in church today, and they haven't been here in a while. So welcome to the Yellow Jacket people <laughs> We're so glad you're here. We've got people of all different shades and stripes and backgrounds and all kinds of things. But we are a family. We are a called out group of people to fulfill God's purposes in the world, not our purposes in the world. So what's it look like? How do we know if we're a church that's getting it? How do we know if we're a church with the right stuff? This is from Pastor Brian last week. He said our church would have a commitment to Christ, an enduring hope, a commitment to each other, a commitment to sharing the gospel as if Jesus could come back and set up his rule and reign like today or tomorrow. And Pastor Brian asked us the question, if you believe Jesus were going to come back at three o'clock tomorrow, what would today look like? What would you be doing what would you be saying? Who would you be talking to? Such a profound thing. The first-century church, this church in Thessalonica, that's getting this letter from the Apostle Paul. They believe that Jesus could come back any time, like maybe three o'clock tomorrow, and they're living in this period that we're referring to as in the waiting. But it's not a passive season of waiting. It's expectant. It's energized, it's dedicated no matter how difficult things get. So now we turn the page to chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Paul's referring to all kinds of stuff. I'm going to try to unpack really quickly. First Thessalonians 2, 1 and 2 says this, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, We have the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid such opposition, amid much opposition. So, okay, here's the deal. Two verses that are referring to two chapters that are chock full of stuff in the book of Acts. I hope this week in your small group group leaders that you'll take a little time to read through together Acts 16 and 17 as a group and if you're not in a group right now today's a great day use that little search feature on our website go find yourself a group you can get in anytime anyway if this is not the right season for you to be in a group then read it as a family this week. Acts 16 and 17, the Apostle Paul is on one of his missionary journeys and he's going town to town to town to town. And the Holy Spirit's going, no, not there. No, not there. No, not there. No, not there. The Apostle Paul was not always successful. Things did not always go perfectly for the guy that had a hand in leading the church in the most explosive season it would ever have in the first century. So Paul then has a vision. We refer to it as a Macedonian vision. Hey, come over here. We actually need you over here. And so Paul, as he is just referred to in 1 Thessalonians 2, he shows up on the shores of Philippi and there are a bunch of women there. And this is really important. One of those women is a lady named Lydia. She's an entrepreneur. She's a seller of purple. She is a go-getter. How do you know she's a go-getter? Because most people in the first century didn't travel more than 30 miles from home. Lydia in Acts 16, she's from Thyatira. She is in Philippi, as the story goes. She is 240 miles from home. Where she is from is one of those places that the Holy Spirit said, no, not here. You can't go here. Have you ever tried to influence and share the gospel with a, with a group of people? And it's like the Holy Spirit said, no, that's not what I want you to do. Not, not right now. I don't want you to take them all on at once. And so what did God do? He took a lady from town, one of the, uh, an incredible entrepreneur, brought her a couple hundred miles away to where God actually wanted Paul, and then she would have a hand in going back and leading massive movements in her city. How do we know that? Lydia is the first convert in Europe, Acts 16. It's amazing, and people get upset that this lady and this group of women have come to know the gospel. In fact, people get so upset about these ladies coming to, to know Jesus as their Savior that Paul is taken, he's beaten, he's actually flogged. One of at least three times in his life that we know about. It's amazing that he survived any of these times, but he's flogged and he survives. And then he's thrown in prison, Paul and Silas. Thrown in prison, Acts 16, another miracle happens. A jailer comes to know Christ and and his whole family. It's really amazing. And then so God moves Paul on from Philippi after a lot of hardship, a lot of difficulty, but a lot of miracle, and then moves him into Thessalonica. So this is one other line from uh, verse two. I shared to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. He's being mild about this. Paul comes to town to now to Thessalonica, and the same thing happens. He first encounters some women, some women that the scriptures describe as prominent women, ladies. Can I just say something? that from the days of the early church, three ladies just looked up. She's paying attention now. I'm glad. They're off Facebook there. Listen, listen to me. From the days of the early church, the church was never meant to be a boys club. Oh, I thought somebody would talk back. I knew the guys wouldn't, but I thought maybe a few ladies would get excited about this. Listen, the church was never meant to be a boys club. Come on. And now... But the the early church leaders, now, now these were Jews, these were Pharisees. They were so upset about these prominent, entrepreneurial, impactful women coming to know Christ that the scriptures say, go look it up, Acts 17, that they got jealous and a mob broke out. Acts 16, Lydia and Paul gets flogged. Acts 17, a group of prominent women and people get jealous and there is a mob. Ladies, the enemy does not want you active in the church. And I'm telling you that for the sake of the kingdom of God, we need your gifts. We need you to come with your discernment. We need you to come with wisdom because sometimes we ain't that bright. We need you to come with your persuasion because you can do things and lead things in such a way that you can advance the kingdom of God. Ladies, this is not a boys club. This is a place for you to come and give everything you've got to advancing God's church on the move. Some of the greatest leaders in our church. Some of the greatest leaders in our church are women. The gal that leads the most volunteers in this church, or it's a gal that leads the most volunteers in this church. I call them all gal. Don't be offended. It's just, we're, we're, we're all friends. Is Christy Meldrum. She leads more team members than anybody in this church. She's a phenomenal leader. Carla Davis is a phenomenal leader. Singa, phenomenal. Ruth, phenomenal. I could go, now I'm leaving people out and I'm making people mad. We've got a lot of great women leaders in this church and we want them to bring everything they've got. And guys, don't you be intimidated by this. If God puts her in authority then you just lock shields and you follow along. You really do. And you bring everything you've got with you too. It was such a big deal. And I'm sure we're over this now. It was such a big deal in the first century that a mob broke out, went to the house of a guy named Jason where Paul was staying. And when mobs come together, bad things happen. This was not a peaceful protest. They're trying to kill him. And God's able to slide him out the the back door and move him on to another town. That is Philippi and Thessalonica where we're studying about. Paul comes into Thessalonica with the stripes of the flogging on his back. And then a mob tries to stop him, tries to stop what is happening. That's the opposition. That's what he is going through in this time. And then he picks up in verse three, so just quick, that he, he expects you to know the story. He says, "For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak." not as pleasing to men, but God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is a witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. I could have walked in and said, I am the Apostle Paul. Y'all, come on. Could have done that. You'll know the position that I've got. He said, but we didn't do that. He says, rather, rather, Paul, in verse three, do you notice? And I love when we go kind of verse by verse through a book. It's so much comes, comes alive. Paul says, did you notice? Listen, I'm, I I'm not deceitful. I'm pure hearted. I'm an open book. Paul says, y'all know I'm not that great a speaker. You've heard me speak. He says, I'm not in it for the money. God knows that. I'm not here for the accolade or the applause. I'm not here for the platform. I'm not here for the likes. I'm not here so you can repost my video or my tweets or anything like that. I am here on a mission. I don't care what anybody thinks or or says about me. I am here to present the gospel of God to every single one of you. He's got a boldness about him. He's got a boldness that honestly, at times I envy But where does his boldness and his transparency come from? It comes, as he says, from the fact that his motives in ministry have been so purified that he doesn't really care what anybody else says or does. Let me ask you a question today. And I know this is like a Captain Obvious redundant question, but I want you to take it in as if you would actually answer this question. Do you want to be all that God has made you to be? Do you want everything that he has for you in your life? Do you want others to recognize God in you? Do you want others to recognize Jesus in you? If other people recognize Jesus in you, let let me just give you a a term, a little bit of a moniker today. You would be a spiritual leader. You say, no, 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 that's, that's the pastor. No, no, no. Leadership is influence. Every single one of you have influence over somebody. Every single one of you have the ability to have a shaping effect on somebody else's life. Do you want God to unleash everything that he has for you? Do you want your neighbors and coworkers to recognize you as a spiritual leader? Do you wanna be recognized as a spiritual leader just in your home? It's not found in sounding smart or in being the best talker in the room. Rather, the boldness and courage you need is found in Transparency and vulnerability because your motives have been purified before God. Now, this, now this, is, this is tough stuff. Transparency and vulnerability because my motives have been purified. In Ephesians 3, Paul says, I can have boldness and confident faith that can endure any tribulation because I have been on my knees before the Father. Too many people. Too many Christ followers lack confidence and boldness because we know that there is something on the inside that's preventing God from having his will and way in our life. There is something that we are holding back, whether it's sin or doubt or fear, there's something that we're holding back that's preventing him from having his will and his way and doing everything that he wants to do, accomplishing everything that he wants to accomplish in our lives. And I'm telling you, today is the day I am calling you out. Let nothing hold you back. Let God have his will, let God have his way. I I get envious sometimes of the leaders in scripture. I get envious of some of the things they pray. I get envious of of King David's life in the the early days before things went off the rails a little bit. David, he prayed some bold prayers. And we read the Psalms and a lot of times we read them too nice. Don't read it nice. Read it the way David said it. God, answer and do not delay. That's a Psalm. Answer me when I call. You have said that to your teenager. But have you said it to God? God, answer me when I call. Don't you decline this call? I need you right now. God, why do you hide yourself? Why do you stand so far off? I'm watching the body language in the room. I'm watching some of you bristle. Like, you don't talk to God this way. No, this is his word. This is how people talk to God when their motives have been purified. And there's nothing between he and me. God has, God, would you show yourself strong? Oh, God, who have acted on our behalf. God has rewarded me, David said, according to my righteousness. Wow. I want to be able to pray that. God has rewarded me because my walk is blameless. Because... He knows it all and it's all been confessed. There's nothing between he and me. Listen, I know that salvation is a work of grace and I know that every day of my life I need grace, but I want to see God do miracles. I want to see him accomplish a greater work through me than I can think up on my own. And in order for that to happen, I need to have the ability to stand boldly before him and say, you know it all, you've purified it all. I'm blameless before you so God don't hold back. God, don't hold back. And there are a lot of Christians who cannot pray, God, don't hold back. Because you're holding back. Yes, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. But after that, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you will bring everything you've got to him, even the dark, even the ugly, even the gross, even the things that you hope no no light would ever shine upon, you will find forgiveness and mercy and grace. And more than, anything else, more than anything else, we'll have the ability to roll boldly into our community, to roll boldly into our families, to lead with authority, to lead with passion, to lead with power, because we know that God's hand is entirely upon us because he's purified it all, he's seen it all. It's the power of transparency and vulnerability and confession and repentance. Is there anything that you need to go to him today and ask for forgiveness so that you can lead your family the way it wants to be led? So that you can love your spouse the way she or he wants to be loved? So that you can have the influence in your classroom, on your campus, the way that you want to have? God, forgive us of our gossip and divisive words. God, we confess our acts of disunity, our unforgiveness. For the sake of a move of God and revival in our land, if there's anything that needs to have the light of God shown on it, then let today be the day. I don't want to sugarcoat it. Maybe it's an addiction, maybe it's pornography. Could be someone in this room today having an extramarital affair, and you're scared to death that he or she will find out. People going through things like that have sat through these services before. How do you expect God to move? How do you expect revival to come? How do we expect God to really use us as a church in the way that we desire to be used in the things that we want to see Him do? While we're holding any of these things back, I had a guy send me a text in between services. He said, "He said that was me. That was me." And he and I'm not, I'm not going to use any details. I'm not going to use his name or anything. He just, man, his his screw ups were pretty profound. And we're not bringing anybody up on stage today. We're not not asking that you like say, hey, yeah, that's me. But I'm saying, listen, God's got more for you than the sin in your life. And if you would come before him with transparency and vulnerability and seek forgiveness, let me tell you what you'll find. You will find grace in your time of need. And you'll find a new walk and a new relationship and a new power. You cannot experience the same power that raised Jesus from the dead while you're holding on to that junk. Let's get rid of it today. Let's see God do a mighty work. Why? Why would me as pastors stand in front of here today, stand in front of you guys, say, And say this kind of thing with boldness and try to call people out. Can I just tell you, it's right here. It's the same reason that the Apostle Paul had. Verse 8, having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our very lives because you have become so very dear to us. Because I love you. And I love your family. And I want God's best for you. Verse 9, you are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave towards you, believers. I've just walked in, Paul says, and declared, I could have walked in and declared my authority. I could have approached this from a place of position. Instead, I'm letting you know who I am. I'm letting you see and hear who I am. I'm coming with integrity and with character today. I want those things to be the primary agents of my influence. This man was not perfect. He had messed up in legendary ways that everybody knew about. This man is not perfect. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about confession and repentance so that we can stand boldly before God and say, God, do what only you can do. Do amazing things. Verse 12, Paul says, here's the other reason why we're talking about all this. So that you would walk... In a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Our motivation is not to be liked, our motivation is not a bigger platform. We can't allow our motive to be what people say about us either to our faces or behind our back. None of that matters. What matters is that you discover the calling that God has on your life and that you walk worthy of that sacrifice. The sacrifice that Jesus made to give his life, to step out of heaven, to be hung on a cross, to go through all that he went through, to be raised from the dead, to walk worthy of that. And so how do you unlock that? How do you unlock purpose and calling in your life? One way that he refers to is in the very next verse, and this is just my last few thoughts today. Verse 13, he says, For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work, and you who believe. Apostle Paul stands up and he says, I didn't just give you my opinion. I gave you God's word, and God's word does its work. Now, if you've got your Bible app, or you your notes in the Westridge app, or if you've got a Bible with you, I hope that you would find a way to circle, underline, highlight, whatever you need to do, the word Work. Because it's an incredibly important word in this verse. He says, God's word performs its work. It's the word, in Greek, it's the word energeo. It's where we get the word energy. And the, de, it's defined as to energize something is to have it work in a situation that brings it from one place to the next. Listen, God's word starts with where you are for all of us and we're all in different places in our journey and following Jesus. But God's work starts with where you are and just keeps moving you along to the next place in your journey. Keeps moving you along to what he has for you next. But there's something else really important to be emphasized here in the Greek, the first two words EN that we know in the word energy means an intensifying work. A continually steadily intensifying work. God's word, we have this word. These are the very words of God. The living words of God on a page, living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. That means that God still speaks. And when you open it, it challenges you and convicts you and encourages you and feeds you and empowers you and equips you to move forward in your journey. If you were raised that this is something you're supposed to check off a list every day, you're missing out. If you were raised with rules-based Christianity, in other words, religion, if you were raised that this book is nothing more than a checkbox on your to-do list every day, you are missing out. It is living. It's alive. It's active. And when you put it to work in your life, it does an incredibly intensifying work. It's part of what God uses to take you from where you are to where he wants you to be. But we don't read it just to check the box. We read it to allow it to speak because what you see and what you hear and what you say have a shaping effect on your life. So what are you listening to? Who are the voices that have your attention? A lot of them are, are unavoidable. They're teachers, their bosses, their classmates, their coaches. They are going to get some of those 100,000 words every day. And words have such power. What about the people who live in your house? When you walk into a room, when you walk into a small group, when you walk into your living room, when you walk into your bedroom, Wherever you walk into the words that you use they have a they have such power they have a shaping impact on everybody that you come in contact with but they are also shaping you. Proverbs 18:21 says death and life are in the power of the tongue. In your house, in your marriage, to your kids, to your friends. Are you speaking criticism or encouragement? Are you building up or tearing down? Are you speaking with faith and optimism or doubt? And pessimism, whenever you walk into a room, the words that you speak have the power to shape hearts and minds of the people in that room. Jesus in Luke six forty five, he said that our mouth speaks what fills our hearts. Listen, we know we've got all the sayings, garbage in, garbage out. We know how important it is that we filter what comes into our lives. We know how important it is that we guard against what we see and what we hear and that we're careful and mindful about how those things are impacting us. But what I want you to hear today as I close is that what you say is shaping you. What you say is shaping you. What you say to others, what you say to yourself, and what you say to God. What, you know, worship has a shaping impact on our lives. It's not meant to be just a, a Sunday thing. And worship, not only do we ascribe to God all the glory and honor that, that he deserves, but as we sing, the words of the songs are shaping our faith. All praise to the Lord most high. All praise to the one who saved my life. My king forever. I've been listening to a song lately. Jesus over everything. He reigns forevermore. Our song for all eternity. Jesus Christ is Lord. The psalmist said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O God, my rock and my redeemer. I'm here to tell you that our worship is not just a reflection of what is in you. Our worship is shaping you. So, what you are listening to is shaping you. What you are singing in the car, in the shower, in church is shaping you, has a shaping Your words are shaping you or every single one of us. 100,000 words a day that you see, that you hear, that you say. And every single one of us have the same person saying the most things to us you're talking to yourself every single one of us say more to ourselves than anybody else says so of your 100,000 words this week what did you say to yourself what would describe how your own thoughts are shaping you i'm not good enough I'm never going to make it. I don't see how we're ever going to get through this. Well, I'll never find love again. It's just not going to happen for me. I mean, what about I am fearfully and wonderfully made by God. I was created for such a time as this. My God has plans for me. Plans for hope and a future. My God has purposes for my life. The God of the universe inhabits and empowers me. Do you spend time letting God's word shape you? Because as you read it, it shapes your life. I try just to read a little bit every day, not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a follower of Jesus. Can I tell you some things that I read this week? Luke 1 nothing will be impossible with God. Let that shape your life. Shaping my life. Nothing will be impossible with God. Psalm 67, seven, God blesses us. Why? That all the ends of the earth may fear him. He doesn't bless me for for my sake. He blesses me for his sake. That is shaping my life. The word of God is shaping me. I'm not checking off a box. I'm creating space for the living, active, very words of God on a page to do a work shaping my life. I love what David says, Psalm chapter 18. My God turns darkness into a light. Listen to this little guy. With this help, I can crush an army and scale a wall. Is it any wonder he's a giant killer? You want to be a giant killer? You watch what you are saying to yourself and you create space for God to speak power into your life. When was the last time you spoke such a truth of God with boldness in your life that it scared you? I mean, come on. Somebody ought to get excited. Speak such a truth in your life that it scares you. If you, listen. One person has got faith today. I'm so excited. They get a couple of listen. If you haven't prayed a prayer recently that scares you, you're not doing it right. Oh God, can I can I please get the promotion? Oh God, we we really want that house. Oh God, we listen, all that's fine. Bring all of that before him. Inquire, God, of everything. But listen, pray something that will be impossible without him. And let the potential of God shape your life. I'm not talking about self-actualization or being present in the moment. This is not like an Eckhart Tolle moment or anything like that. I'm talking about being still before the God of the universe and letting the Holy Spirit of God say to you, pray that. Oh, but that's big. And let him say, you have no idea how big I am. I love what Pastor John Wesley said. He said, God does nothing except in response to believing prayer and everything with it. And then Jesus himself said, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the father may be glorified in the son. John, who was the closest to Jesus, he wrote this down. He says, this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask Anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. This is the confidence, he says. You pray with confidence. Do You pray with boldness. Your prayers are shaping you. So don't pray little piddly, non-faithful, check-the-box prayer, but pray like you need heaven to come down in your life. Listen, prayer is a mystery. I, I can't tell you that I know exactly how it works or exactly what's going on here, but I can tell you this, that our sovereign God has chosen to allow prayer to be a way that he accomplishes his work in the world. And I'm not gonna leave anything on the table. I'm gonna take it all to him. And somehow the scriptures show us that our prayers have some sort of influence in the way that he works in our lives. And I don't really know all that that is about or if we can quantify it I don't know how much that I influence God but I can promise you in prayer he is influencing me my prayers my requests are shaping me what you see what you hear and what you say are shaping you 100,000 words 700,000 a week How much space have you created for God to work in those words? I mean, I think think it's, I'm sure it's less than 10% for me of the number of words that I've prayed, the number of words that I've read in my Bible this week. But I can tell you that those words shape me in a way that the other 600 plus thousand could never do. Because it's living and it's active and he loves you and he knows you and he doesn't want this relationship that you have with him to be a check the box relationship. How dull is that? You don't take somebody on a date that you love to just check the box. Well, we got that over with. We don't do check the box religion. We do relationship with the almighty God. We do business with the almighty God. Before God even called us to Scotland, I had a few, I would never things in my language that was shaping me. I'm sure I'm the only person who does this. God, I would never, they weren't sin things. They weren't foolish things. I've jumped out of a perfectly good airplane. God, I would never. And God just smiles and says, child, son, just hold up. I can't tell you for sure. It's important that the pastor not lie. Everybody okay with that? So I can't tell you for sure. I don't remember a moment where I got on my knees and said, God, I would never especially not in that voice. I don't even know where that came from. (laughs) But I had said I would never enough, that it was shaping me. So even before God's called us to do something that is like jumping out of the plane without the parachute, I had a moment before God one, one morning. And my little routine is, to drink the first cup of coffee entirely before Jesus and I speak, get something going, get awake. And then on the second cup, my Bible opens and I do a little bit of reading, a little bit of underlining, maybe a little note. It doesn't take long at all. And then typically, if nothing else, just to maintain my focus, I'll get on my knees and I'll pray. And I've got a list, anybody else have a list? And sometimes, and on this one particular day, God said, I already know the list. I knew the list before you did. Stop praying like you're informing me of stuff, please. Can we just move along? And with my heads bowed, my eyes closed, I would never came to a close in my life. And before I could even pray what for me would be some of my daily prayers the thought that flooded my mind with tears in my eyes in a way I had never thought of it before. I moved from I would never to whatever you want. God, whatever you want. God, whatever you want. If we're gonna see him work and move in your family, we're gonna need some families to hang a banner over your house, God, whatever you want. If we're gonna see him move in a church, and bring about revival, we're gonna need to hang a banner over the church. God, whatever you want. And you don't pray God whatever you want when you're holding something back. You don't pray God whatever you want when there's active sin in your life. You don't pray God whatever you want when you know that there are things he's not pleased of, but when you confess it and you get it all out of the way and you hang the banner and you open your hands and you say, God, whatever you want, can I tell you anything is possible And I want to live with a God and live a life where anything is possible. I didn't come here for safe faith. I didn't come here for check the box faith. I didn't come here for a so-so life. I came here for an abundant life, says Jesus. I came here for a life that's truly life, says Jesus. And so come on, don't hold back. Don't hold back today. We'll probably lose touch over the years. Most of you I don't talk to every single day. But I'm going to tell you right now, When you hear the news one day that Pastor Paul is with Jesus, you're going to know three words that shaped that day. God, whatever you want, I will say it every day. I will not stand before my God and apologize for the things I said no to. God, whatever you want. Don't worry, it's probably not another country. But it might be be a great marriage. It might be an act of faith and generosity and boldness that's been on your mind and been on your heart. And you've said, I would never. And today's the day you say, God, whatever you want. Would you bow your head and pray with me before we go to worship? before we ascribe to him what he's due, before we allow it to shape our lives, can I just say, child of God today, if there's anything in your life today that you need to remove, that you need to confess, would you do it and please don't hold back. If you hold back from him, you leave him no choice but to hold back from you. And I'm not saying that's why you haven't got the answer because I don't know that about your life. He may just be continuing to shape your life in these days but if you know it's there I don't have to convince you this is not hide and seek if there's sin in your life let's get it out don't leave the room don't leave the room you may be terrified of light being shown on that thing you may be terrified of the people in your house finding out what you have been hiding. Can I just tell you, it will be so much better for you and for them if you will let the light of God burn and purify that out of here today. Don't hold back. Don't hold back. And if you need to pray today, whatever you want, those are my words. You might not have your own words. Maybe you can use those, whatever it is. Don't pray unless you mean it, trust me, (laughs) because you just don't know what he might say. If you pray, God, use me, I hope you like being used because he'll do it. And it's worth it. Let's walk worthy of it. Let's walk worthy of it. Children of God, let's walk worthy of it. God, have your will and have your way. Do what we didn't expect today. You are great. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for tuning in for today's message. If you want to dig deeper into what you just heard, consider checking out our Next Steps podcast. Every Monday, we'll have a practical conversation surrounding Sunday's message and talk through how we can apply it to our daily lives. Along the way, we're going to tackle other tough questions and topics that will help strengthen your walk with God. Whether you're new to the faith or you're a longtime follower of Christ, there's a next step to take in your own story. Just search for Westridge Church Next Steps Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or visit westridge.com backslash podcast.